We will open up with verses 10 to 17. We'll do a brief review on verses 10 to 12 with our primary focus today on verse 13. Let's read from verse 10 to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The title of the message is Standing Firm in the Evil Day. Now, if you're taking notes, a very simple outline. By our way of review, we will look at what we need to know and accept about spiritual warfare and this spiritual battle. We will look also at what we need to do in this spiritual battle. And we'll also look at what we need to avoid while fighting this spiritual battle. But first, we are in a battle. Christian, are you the type of person that avoids conflict? Maybe, and that's not necessarily a good thing, a bad thing. It's just may, that may be some type of characteristic that you have. And that's not necessarily wrong. There are times that we should not get entangled with certain conflicts as they pertain to this world. But at what cost do you avoid conflict? See, many people in the world like to avoid conflict by simply ignoring an issue. You can avoid a conflict by ignoring it. And kind of like that as well is not necessarily ignoring it entirely, but maybe just drawing away for a season from the issue. And some people ignore it by just running away from it and shutting the door on the conflict. But there are some conflicts in life here on the earth that you cannot avoid. There are some things that cannot be avoided. And certainly in our position in Jesus Christ, to be in Christ is to be in conflict, as I have said before. You see, the minute you come to Jesus Christ, you now find yourself in a conflict with the flesh, the world, and the devil. You're making a sojourn here on this earth. This is a wicked, evil age. These are evil days that we, in the righteousness of Christ, as the light of the world, as the salt of the earth, make our merry way through this world that is antithetical to everything we are and everything our God is to a large extent in terms of the wicked, evil age. But Christian, you have to come to a place of acceptance that you cannot avoid this reality. And some of us, if we had our own way, would not have designed our Christian walk to be this way. And some of us, you just have to come to the reality that I have to accept my position in Christ. There will be some tribulation. There'll be some turbulence, if you will, on this ride. So we have to understand that what we're talking about conflict here is specific. Now, there's conflicts of all kind. But what we're speaking about in Ephesians here is a conflict of war. This is spiritual warfare, like it or not. Now, some of you don't like war. I don't think war is a great thing to like. And there have been Christians in the past who have taken a position on war as like a pacifist position. And then there are some who are conscientious objectors to war. Christian, that's not you. You have no choice. You cannot be a conscientious objector. Now, you hear a lot of terms about this 
this life in Christ. And we looked at one in chapter 4 with the bride of Christ. Christian, how do you feel when you're called a child of God? How do you feel when you're called an ambassador of reconciliation? How do you feel when you're called the light of the world? As a disciple of God. You feel good for the most part. But Christian, how do you feel when the New Testament refers to you as a soldier? You see, you're in a battle. You're in a spiritual battle and you cannot get away from it. Consider what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 5 in the New King James. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, making this journey throughout the earth, you're in the process of becoming who you are in Christ. The already process of now that you are saved, God is sanctifying you. But He's not just sanctifying you in the church on Sunday. He's sanctifying you outside the church. He's sanctifying you as you make this journey in what is an evil day. It's always been an evil day. Now, we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, chapters, the doctrine, who we are, and in chapters 4, the duty. And we see it's a blessed life, it's also an active life. And chapter 4 starts out with walk worthy of your calling. To walk worthy, we see that you're to put off the old, put on the new. We see that you're to be an imitator of God in chapter 5. You're to walk as children of light. Do you think, when you look at this world that we make this journey through, you think that you will not hit some resistance, Christian? You will have some obstruction. See, to be called, to be who you are called to be, is not without obstruction. That's just the way it is. Now, we are not in this warfare to defeat Satan and take over the world. We are in this warfare simply to be who we are in Christ. God is working through us. And there are attacks and obstacles that will come against us. And this is a lifelong process. Now, as we looked at last week, who exactly in this text is opposing us? We have an obstructionist. And that is the devil. There is a devil. You may be reformed, but no, there is a devil. You may not understand fully how he operates, and I don't think we fully do. And that is why you may be charismatic, from a charismatic background. And you may have a different perspective entirely. The perspective we must have is what the Bible tells us. No more, no less. So we understand that Satan, his name in Hebrew, he is an adversary, one who opposes. We know that he is a created being, created by God. As we stated before, he has an expiration date. He's under the jurisdiction of God. And this may surprise you, but there are scriptures in the Old Testament and New where he is actually a servant of God in that role. But we understand equally that he is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. And consequently, he has an army. He has minions. He has a legion of demonic forces, demons, in his, that are, have a hierarchy in his army. So we read in verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Who are they? Where did they come from? Well, Jude 6 and 2 Peter 2.4 give us some information. We know that one-third of the angels fell when Satan fell. So they are in alliance with Satan now. Satan is powerful yet restricted. These also may be powerful in a spiritual realm, but they're also restricted. But yet they are operable. So we must understand, these minions are here for what purpose? To distract you, to obstruct you, to distort your, your views on, on God, to get you out of fellowship with God. They are limited, but yet they operate. And as we are seeing, and this is my opinion, 
I think they are operating in a very, very powerful way right now in the Western world, certainly in the United States. In my lifetime, I've never seen anything like this. I, maybe you feel the same way. And equally, there are the, the, the forces that I feel are at work in opposing God's people and righteousness, I think are far worse in the UK, for that matter, for what it's worth. But how do they operate? There is a world system here. There is a wicked, evil age that they operate through. Now, how much authority, you must understand, does Satan or these principalities have over you? The answer, none. None whatsoever. How much influence do they have over you? Answer, as much as we give them. As much as we give them. They have no authority. But sometimes, as we're going to see, we do not resist. We do not stand firm against their wicked schemes and agendas. And therefore, we give up ground that has already been won through Jesus Christ. So, let's look at the devil's schemes, as we looked at a little bit. Now, in 2 Corinthians 11.33, consider what Paul writes regarding Eve. And from understanding this text, you will understand how he will still operate to some extent today as well. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion of Christ. He doesn't have the authority to obstruct your salvation in terms of stealing it or something like that. No, not, nothing whatsoever. But he can lead you astray in your mind from the simplicity and purity of devotion in Christ. That's something very interesting. We also read in 2 Corinthians 2.11, so, See that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not to be ignorant of his schemes. The ESV would say this, that we should not be outwitted by Satan. So Satan can have an influence on you through this wicked world system and through the appeals of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Through this world, through this wicked evil age. Now, in the case of Peter, I want you to consider something that Satan is restricted by God. He can only do what God allows. This is important that we understand this. Because as I said last week, if we don't, whatever presuppositions we come into a teaching like this, we can become victim of our imaginations, victim of fear, victim of denominational leanings. We want to see specifically what the Word of God says. Consider Luke twenty-two thirty-one in the case of Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. We know the text goes on. Jesus would not have allowed that at the time. Jesus was praying for him. But eventually, Peter would get outwitted to some extent by Satan. Now, the great truth we see is revealed in the situation in Job 1.6. Satan is under the jurisdiction of the Almighty God. Satan had asked for Job. He had to get permission from God. So, Christian... Understand that from the onset. As Martin Luther said, as we sang that song, Mighty Fortress, essentially, he's God's devil. But the tactics and the methods that he propagates will cause you to maybe to distraction, will cause you to lies and deception. We're going to see some schemes that lies and deception, as we look at in, in verse 14, we see in this text there's no schemes that are spoken of here. But understanding his character and understanding the pieces of armor, we will put together how he's going to come against us. He will come against you with slander, with accusations. And he will try to appeal to your fallen flesh with temptation. Now, we are called to fight. This is something you can't avoid. God is sovereign and he who began a good work in you will see it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. But we're called to do what God has called us to do. Now, there is conflict 
And we must understand there's no getting around that, this warfare. There's also a command here. There's also strategy that God has given us. Now, he's given us a strategy how to endure, how to fight. He supplied strength. And as we spoke about him, you must understand, he supplied victory. He supplied victory. This is the already not yet propagated by George Eldon Ladd. Uh, a great theologian, and Gehardus Voss. These are men who understand this, and they, they had written books on this. We spoke about the D-Day analogy as, as the V-Day analogy, understanding that it is finished, it is finished. It is working itself out now until the consummation of the kingdom of God. But Satan rages on. He is defeated, but he rages on. Now, we understand that Christ came to destroy the works of Satan. And we see in Colossians 2, 15, and we sing, uh, he is a mighty fortress. We understand that he disarmed rulers and principalities. So he's defeated Satan, he's defeated Satan's army. As we see that he still rages on, as we sang, consider the words, but still our ancient foe does seek to woke us woe. He's God's enemy. He's against us. He will come against us. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not as equal. On earth is not as equal. We are not equal, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? If not, Jesus Christ, the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. So, the Christian now has a call to arms. We have a call to fight. So we understand that God has provided what we need against these tactics. So we focus now on verse 13. There is a posture to be taken here. There is something we need to do. There are some things we need to do in this verse to fight this fight, the spiritual warfare. And we see... The instruction given in verse 13. Therefore, in light of what was just written, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day having done everything to stand firm. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, we take up the full armor of God, God's armor, so that we will be able to resist in the evil day having done everything to stand firm. There is action for us to be taken. Just like we see all the action words, the imperatives that start out in chapter 4. We see many in these verses to take up, to stand, to put on. Paul is now going to focus on six indispensable pieces of armor for a Christian. They're metaphoric. But there's six pieces. We'll go through them briefly, and we're going to focus next week on the first one. Now, we see a belt. As we look at the text, I'm just going to read them, and then we will look at these pieces of armor. Okay? Now, when we get to verse 14, stand therefore having girded your loins with truth. There's no scheme here. But we see girding your loins with truth. I'll just read one. Knowing who Satan is, the father of lies, seeing the instruction to gird our loins with truth, we see that the scheme will be lying. See that the scheme can be deception. So we are come against that scheme. We'll talk about that in the weeks ahead. But some of the translations would say, take up the belt of truth. Now, we also see... In verse 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. There's a breastplate to protect us, to protect our heart. The breastplate of righteousness. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. Because Satan will come against us with unrighteousness, with, un with schemes of temptation and things of that nature. So that's just one. So we see a belt, a breastplate. We see in 15 shoes, 16 a shield. Helmet and a sword. And incidentally, and most importantly, Paul will go on in verses 18 to 20 to speak about a non 
item, not an armor, nothing to do with clothing, but a tremendous weapon, an offensive weapon, and a defensive weapon as well, and that is prayer. So these pieces of armor enable us to resist. We fight not for victory, but from victory. So the posture here is to stand firm and resist in the power of God. We don't have the capacity not to resist if not for God's power. So we see, we saw in verse 10, finally, that we ought to be strong in the Lord. Looked at that. In the strength of his might. How so? By putting on the full armor of God. And we will do what? To stand against the schemes of the Satan, of Satan, the adversary. This armor will protect us. This armor will strengthen us. So, we discover several things here. It connotes, number one, protection. And certainly when we look at the armor, we could absolutely make the application that Paul had the Roman soldier in mind. And I think that's true. But there's also Isaiah in this. There's Isaiah 11.5, Isaiah 52, I believe it's 7. We'll see another scripture in Isaiah that coincides with the Lord's fight here. Coincides with this armor. Coincides with this battle. So, to be what we are called to be is very antithetical to this world, to Satan, and to our flesh. Consequently, we have already looked at, in chapter 5, we're to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to understand, to be the husband you're called to be, to be the wife you're called to be, to be the, the parent, the child, the boss, the employee, to walk as children of light, you need empowerment. And God has supplied it. Okay. So, now the armor protects us. Could you imagine an NFL running back going into a football game on his own discretion, by his own choice, saying that I'm not going to wear any shoulder pads. I'm not going to wear a helmet. Now, they probably wouldn't let him play, but let's suppose they said, okay, is that what you want to do? Go ahead. Do you think... The other team, if it was a Super Bowl game, would say, you know what, that poor guy's got no, let him score a touchdown. I'm not going to touch him. We may hurt him. You think that they would do that? Maybe, maybe not. Satan is not going to do that. You must understand, you need to be dressed, ready, prepared in the armor of God. The armor provides protection against his schemes. And number two, as the text is telling us here, there's an element here of strength. We are to be strong and to resist the schemes of Satan. So to have this particular posture, we see that there's an element of the supernatural here as well in this armor. You see, the strength is God. The strength is God. So this is not like a physical battle. And that is, in many ways, a good thing. In some ways, it may be easy for someone here to get involved in a physical battle. Maybe you're big. Maybe you have a lot of power. Maybe you have experience in a physical battle. You see, you could be big, powerful, strong in a human battle, but would be weak in a spiritual battle. Whereas someone else can be frail. They could be elderly, and they could have the power of God. That's one of the refreshing things. This is what's unique about this battle. It doesn't matter if you can bench press 300 pounds. You need to be strong, not in your own strength, in the strength that God provides. So the command here, to put on the full armor of God, the commands, I should say, to stand and resist, should not be ignored. But very often we see we don't want this conflict. This is difficult. There's a lot going on. We have our own agendas. But God has told us this and given us strategy and victory for a reason. So, Just because we are already victorious is a trap that you may have and say, I know who wins. I know who has the victory. I'm going to wing it. And you will get to the finish line. But make no mistake, this is your enemy, and he seeks to disturb your fellowship with God. He seeks to destroy your life to whatever capacity he can. Okay. So we ought to stand firm. In essence... Principally, you're not standing firm because you're so strong. It's basically about resisting. What does James tell us? James 4.7. Before we resist Satan, what should we do? 
Submit ourselves to God. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So this, this strategy here is to draw us closer to God. So we are not running away from this battle. We are to stand firm. That means to not be doubtful, to not dodge duty, to not abandon, to not run to, to not run away, but to stand firm in the power of God in the midst of this evil and wicked day. So, amen, we are to resist the schemes that will come to you. Christian, it's not a matter of if, but when. You will be attacked because of your status in Christ, because of who you are, because of the Holy Spirit, because the light you have, and because you now sit in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ, you're exposed to this new spiritual realm. So, but sometimes we see that the schemes, we see them coming and sometimes we don't. Sometimes the schemes could be hard to resist. You see, this, this enemy is not, he's subtle, he's crafty, but we know his playbook, so to say. There's nothing new under the sun and certainly not for him. Because these schemes are hard to resist because remember how he comes to us. He comes to us very often in the guise of good. He comes as an angel of light. And you have a, a, a large portion of a society that is duped into virtue, into a lot of the nonsense that he's propagating, not understanding that he is wicked and understanding that what he propagates is in op- opposition to God's word. So, now we are to resist... Implicit here is the schemes, Satan, in the evil day. Now, what is this? What is the evil day? It's an interesting phrase. Now, we saw an allusion to the evil days in chapter 5, instructing a Christian to walk circumspectly, to walk wisely, redeeming the best use of your time, redeeming your time. Why? Because the days are evil. So two possible meanings here. The time of this evil age. Now the evil day, you make the application, was right after the fall. There's always been an evil day. The evil day is not Tauntonville 2023 in May. It's part of it, but not exclusively. There's always been the evil day. But also, this, the application can be made a particular time of testing for each individual Christian. And there are some times, for whatever circumstances may be, and you may know what they are, may not, it appears as if there is a greater testing going on in your life. And it sometimes seems that we are more vulnerable to his influence or to his oppression. Now understand again, he's got no authority, but he, he will cast the line out and make it appeal to us in such a way where it is desirable do not think we are not immune to the schemes. In such a way that it is desirable, and sometimes we'll go for the bait. So, now, the evil day. We saw the evil day in Genesis. We saw the evil day in chapter 6 in Noah's day. We saw the evil day in chapter 18. We see the evil day in, 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 in 1 Peter. A.D. 64 under Nero was a whole lot more evil for the Christian than it is for us here today. I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime, but Satan has been coming against God's people for a very long time. And Nero, he used Nero to do that. So, since the fall of man, there's the evil day, evil permeates the world, not just America, not just the Western world. This is a wicked Evil age, it's a cursed world. Now, as it pertains to us, we might not get caught up in the evil day. We are not to be conformed to the world systems, and that's part of the resisting. And one of the things we see in Romans 12 is to not be conformed to this world, but what? To be transformed by the renewing of our mind, so we will know and prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. We are not to get caught up also, as far as the text goes, in end time speculation. 
Is he coming back? It's never been like this in, in, in America. He's coming next week. Oh, no, no, he's not, he's not coming. It was worse then. He's coming at another time. That's not what we are to get involved in here. Do things get better? I don't know. Do things get worse? I don't know. Maybe. Probably. I think things would get worse. But I do understand, since the history of the evil day, there's been ebbs and flows. We see that from Genesis. We see that in the book of Judges. There's been better kings. And a lot of it has to do with leadership. A lot of it has to do. So, we must also pray accordingly, not be ignorant of his schemes and understanding the times that we are living in. But we do see what I will say, is my opinion, a collective delusion now. It's not just in the Western world. There's a collective delusion where man cannot decipher what is right, what is wrong. Whereas... Common sense should be able to make that determination. This is a strong delusion. And why is the Satan raging? Why is there such evil in this evil day? Well, I think one of the reasons has to do with God. I clearly think, as many of you do, that God's restraint has been lifted. There's no question. And now we are enduring a season of the wrath of God's abandonment. Certainly, we can make the assertion that this world system and God's common grace, God filters a lot of evil. But right now what you see, when you see people given over to the lust of their flesh, the unnatural lust of their flesh, and to this debased mind, just read the newspaper and you see this, the debased mind where you can't decipher what's up What's down, where it truly is, and as Isaiah 5 time. There's no question about it. And because God has given them over, and there's so many people out in this world that are under the authority of the spirit of this age. They will not understand this, but they are under Satan's authority. So I mean, the devil, the demon possessed, but they're under the authority like we once were. We once walked according to the course of this world. According to who? He's called the prince and power of the air. The spirit that now works in the sons of the disobedience in whom we all formerly were. You see, there's no neutrality. You're either under the authority of Christ. You're under the authority of Satan. So we see. Now, how much authority does he have over you? None. How much influence? As much as you give. So we see that we are to stand firm, and it's a command we see three times. Some translations will say withstand. We see it in verse 11, verse 13, verse 14. And you can only stand firm in the power of God. But first you have to embrace that you're in this warfare. And for maybe some of us, maybe we haven't really come to that reality. Maybe you're new in the Lord. And maybe some of you know this very well. But we do have to embrace this reality and we can't avoid it. We're told what we can't avoid. We're told what we ought to do. But we embrace this. That we suffer hardship with me, Paul writes, as good soldier of Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself with the affairs of everyday life. So that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. You're a child of God. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're an ambassador of reconciliation. You're a soldier in the army of the Lord as well. And you understand that he will not relent. So we know we can't avoid this reality. We know what we must do in this spiritual battle. We are to put on the full armor of God, which we will look at. We are to resist and we ought to stand firm. We are to do that. But there's some things that we're not to do. I'm going to give you a couple here. Just because you have victory in Jesus does not mean you will walk daily in victory in Jesus. And there's also here commands, but there's a commitment. This is something that we ought to do daily in putting on this full armor of God. In, in getting the strength of God to stand and resist. 
Now, God's armor gives us the ability to resist the attacks of Satan, particularly maybe in an evil day for you. Don't think because you have victory, you're immune to deception. You're not. Neither am I. That's why this is the commitment has to be made. But the first thing I want to tell you, a trap. I'm going to give you five traps we can fall into. You are in a battle, no getting around it. There are things you have to do. What, you not, what not to do? Avoid fighting this battle in your own strength. Knowing that you are not fighting human beings. Part of this, part of me would say I'd rather ha- be in a fight. Fight what I am my understanding fully, get it over with. What, that's not the way we can do this. We understand the strength is of God, but there's also weapons that Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In our own strength, can't do that. We've got to come daily, make our commitment to avoid fighting in our own strength. Spiritual weapons for spiritual battle. Now, be committed to applying these principles. The second trap to avoid is relinquishing ground that Christ has already won. What do I mean? We have victory. How much influence does Satan have over you? As much as you give him. We sometimes give him access. We sometimes, an area is won in our mind and in our hearts. That's a victory. That's our land, so to say. And sometimes we allow him. We have mercy on him. We allow him to come in. Instead of resisting, instead of standing firm, we falter. We compromise for several reasons. Laziness, just tired, whatever the case should be. Now, sometimes we don't see it coming because he's crafty and he's subtle. And when we're not currently active in the spiritual disciplines, we're more vulnerable to it. Now, the third trap to avoid is what we touched upon last week a little bit with the boxing analogy. Remember, Mike Tyson was certainly the better fighter than Buster Douglas. He certainly was undefeated where Buster Douglas was ranked seven. But Tyson made a lethal mistake. He came to the fight unprepared. And that's something that we don't want to do. He did not train accordingly to the fight. Now, training the day of a fight is better than... I guess not training at all, but you don't want to train the day of a fight. You want to be continually in the training. You want to be consistent. Now, spiritually, some of us can get lazy, and there are times that spiritually we need to get to the spiritual gym, for lack of a better term. Sometimes we just get spiritually out of shape. So... He was not ready for the fight, and sometimes we are not ready. And what did he do as well? Two traps we fall into. Some denominations overestimate Satan. Oh, my goodness. Everything is Satan, 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 which is incorrect. But equally, some denominational leaning can underestimate him. And that's what Tyson did. He underestimated his opponent, and he wasn't ready for the fight. If you remember what he said, he said, I could beat Buster Douglas if I didn't sleep in a week. And he lost that fight. Okay. So, spiritual slothfulness. Not being ready for the fight. One of the things that we want to do in terms of being ready, I want to quote something from a man named R.A. Torrey. Wouldn't agree with all his theology, but he was a successor of D.L. Moody at the Moody Bible Institute. And consider the quote he writes about spiritual daily warfare. Quote, The reason why many fail in battle is because they wait until the hour of battle. The reason why others succeed is because they have gained their victory on their knees long before the battle came. 
He goes on to say, anticipate your battles, fight them on your knees before temptation comes, and you will always have victory. And might I add, whatever the schemes of Satan is. See, part of being strong in this life as a soldier of God is humility. You gain strength on your knees. It's an amazing paradox of the Christian life. John 4.10, we say, humble yourself inside of the Lord and he will lift you up. The strength to stand firm comes from being on your knees. And understand, you're engaged in this warfare. So, no conscientious objectives. You can't avoid it. There are commands for you to do. And we're going to continue with the fourth thing that we are not to do. Avoid relying on yesterday's victories for today. Yesterday's victories, praise God. Yesterday's victories throughout the Old Testament. What God did. Look back in your life, Christian, of what God did. Look at all the things you've overcome. Look at yesterday's victories. Learn from them. Build from them. But don't become complacent from them. So we understand there is a fight for today. And as any fighter or any war, any army, one thing you have to know that there is a battle. You've got to show up to the battle in order to win the battle. So do not rely on yesterday's victories. And the fifth trap I want to tell you about is the trap of discouragement. The trap of discouragement. How so? When you see the prevalence of evil on the earth. You must understand that all theological, philosophical, religious systems that are built on lies will fall. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Do you understand that you win? Do you understand that we already know the outcome here? Do you understand that it is the righteous? It is the meek that inherit the earth? Do you understand victory fully? If you understand victory, your discouragement, and I know it's disheartening, will be lessened when you see what's going on. And the discouragement for some of you here may be, oh, what's the sense? This has just got to go the way it is. What's the sense? There's going to be persecution. What's the sense? That's not for us to say or to do. We are called to do what we saw. To embrace the battle, the commands of the battle, to do what we're called to do, and certain things here not to do. Consider the Israelites in Exodus 14. Just a summary from verses 1 to 14. Moses had to encourage them to stand firm against Pharaoh and not give in to the temptation to forsake Yahweh and return to slavery when they saw the Egyptians coming. Let's not deny the reality of the evil day. It's here. Let's not deny it. But understand who we are. Understand our purpose as we stand firm in the evil day because we know the outcome. You see, very early on, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul alluded to something that I think a lot of Christians just bypass. The amazing chapter 1, the many spiritual blessings, but I want you to consider Ephesians 1, 9 to 11. He, speaking of Christ, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, things on the earth. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. This is very temporary. Christ is coming to reconcile all things according to the counsel of his will. He's coming in victory. He disarmed the principalities and powers. We are under the authority of Christ. We are victorious. Greater is he that is us than he that is in the world. You understand that Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega? You look at a book like Revelation. You look at a time where the evil permeated in the evil day far greater than our situation here. 
And Jesus, John, was given revelation three times about who Jesus was, the beginning and the end. I'm going to read this in the NIV, I believe it is. I am the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. He hasn't changed. He is the beginning and the end, who was, who is, and is coming to reconcile all things on heaven and earth to himself. In chapter 21, verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. In chapter 22, verse 13, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the, omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. Stand firm. Resist in the evil day. For this is the command of God for us. And I want to remind you of something in Isaiah 46, 9 to 11. Let these scriptures comfort your heart. Let these scriptures dominate your thinking. Let these scriptures give you strength so you may resist and stand firm in this evil day. Remember the former things past. For I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things which have not been done. Saying my purpose will be established. And I will accomplish my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east. The man of my purpose from a far country. Speaking of Cyrus. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Everything is under the providential filtering, jurisdiction, and sovereignty of our God. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in us. And we have a power that He has given us. Let's exercise the power and do the spiritual disciplines that we see in this text as well. The battle is the Lord's. The victory is the Lord's. The strength... The armor is the Lord's. The strategy is the Lord's. God has provided us with what we need to do. But what is on us? To take up. To put on. To stand. To resist. That's what God is asking us to do in this text. You see, Christian, this is not about us just defeating Satan. This is part of our development and becoming who we, we already are in Christ. This is part of our development as walking worthy of our calling. Gee, I, you know, I wish I wouldn't have that obstruction, but we got this obstruction to be light in a dark world, to be and exemplify the light and righteousness of Christ in, a, in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. That was the truth of Paul's day. It's the truth for us. So, having done everything to stand firm. Can we say that? That we are to do everything to stand firm. That's on us. Let us take some inventory. And we'll talk about this in communion after the message. We're going to have a time of reflection. But Christian, know the schemes of the devil. Know your inheritance in Christ. Know yourself. Know your vulnerabilities. Where do we give up ground? Where are we vulnerable? Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it. If it's not revealed. So we are to work out spiritually each day. In some sense, we have to hit the spiritual gym every day. We're not to relinquish ground to Satan. And please, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. We win. And encourage someone here and pray for someone here in the congregation for the upcoming week. Let's stand firm having done everything to stand firm. Maybe you're here today, and we sang a song on Christ the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When we see that, what do we mean by all other ground? You see, friend, Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life. There is one name given among men by which they may be saved. That is Christ and Christ alone. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by me. But what exactly does that mean? 
You could acknowledge Jesus Christ to some extent. You could acknowledge him even as a God. But there is one gospel, just as there is one Christ. There is one means of justification, and that is by faith alone, grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone. There is one way to become a child of God by receiving the Holy Spirit. Have you repented of your sin? Have you believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead? If you have, you will be saved by Christ and Christ alone, by grace alone. In the scriptures alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone for the glory of God alone. Not any religious slants in that, not any religious rituals, not any spirituality. Jesus Christ and Him crucified alone. Have you done that? If it's not Christ exclusively, all of the ground is sinking sand. And in the end, you will fall. You will fall. You will be under, you're already under the wrath of God. If you deny Christ, there will be a greater judgment for you to come. I get no joy in saying that, but this is what we are to do. Now, if you don't know exactly what it means to be born again, if you think that you're some other type of Christian, See me after service. I want to discuss that with you. For the rest of us, resist, stand firm in the evil day, for Christ is the King. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks to you, Lord. And we understand, Lord, that these times, Lord, are, have mirrored times past, Lord, in some other regions of the earth. Somewhat new for us, Lord. But we know, Lord, that great is thy faithfulness. We know, Lord, great is thy victory. We know great is the power towards us who believe. And Father, I would ask that for this local congregation, you would strengthen us, Lord. Not every day is a time of testing, Lord, but to some severity. But we're called, Lord, to do this. Put on the full armor of God daily. Help us, Lord, to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.